the second Bodhisattva precept, delusionary desires are inexhaustible. I vow to put an end to them. This second Bodhisattva precept we could see as linked to the second noble truth of Tanha or thirsts, thirsts and desires, and to the second practice principles of holding to self-centered thoughts, thoughts and feelings, holding to self-centered thoughts exactly the dream. There's two elements here we could see and in the phrasing that I of the English translation I use, the first is they're inexhaustible, meaning they never come to an end, and yet I vow to end them or to put an end to them. A number of different ways of translating um, the first set of phrase, Bono Mujin, defilements is sometimes used. Defilements are inexhaustible, or desires are inexhaustible. Or delusions are endless. Or however inexhaustible the passions are, I vow to extinguish them. Some take it in another direction. Afflictions are infinite. I vow to eliminate them. very much endless and putting an end to them, inexhaustible, infinite, and putting an end to them, eliminating. Another way of talking about it is endless vexations. I vow to eradicate. But there's a little less of the original in, in some of that in that translation or some of the others. Some change, not change, use the words anxiety and hate, inexhaustible. Anxiety and hate, inexhaustible. Vowing to them, break them. Break them is a very strange way of saying it, but that's... Another translation, um, which is not really about breaking, it's about what? It's about what? So, in one sense, it's releasing our hold and belief, because it's the holding to the desires, whether we call it desires, or whether we call it delusions, uh, or delusive desires, the 
holding to self-centered thought, feelings, holding to those that create the trouble, that create the trouble for us. And the desires are clearly create delusions for us, as we know for ourselves. It's not the wanting, even let's pick something simple that I like to use. I could want vanilla ice cream. No big deal. It comes up. Mm. I'm in an ice cream store and I think, oh, I'd want some vanilla ice cream. No big deal. I search through my pockets and I have no money. Okay, so be it. Or I go up and have money and go up and they say, sorry, we're out of vanilla. What do you mean you're out of vanilla? How dare you? Oh, poor me, you always are out of what I want or whatever other way we create suffering or harming. Um, Or, to put it a different way, create afflictions for ourselves or worse afflictions upon others. So it's the, when we go to the practice principle, the point is the holding to the thought and feeling in relation to the reality of what is right now is what makes this, these delusions, desires, poisonous, or to use the word makes these passions substantial. These are natural arising, passing aspects of being human. There's a choice of food, a choice of other things that humans, in being human, in being embodied, body, mind, that desires occur. All Beings have various sorts of desires. We see very well in the animal kingdom how in some species males will fight almost to the death in order to mate with the female. Um, And sometimes they even lose sight of what they're aiming for in their fighting with each other. Um, So this is very much bred into, so to speak, the nature of being embodied. And yet, it creates suffering and harming. So it's not the arising passing of this, but in being human, we have the capacity to not get caught by it, not believe it, especially not in the face of the reality of what's so and what the consequences are. That's the point of the Bodhisattva precepts. It has to do with the consequences of suffering and harming that occurs because of being bound up in these likes, dislikes, thirsts, being for or against.
putting an end to them in one sense seems impossible if they're infinite. And yet, it's really very simple in in another sense because it's always not the whole theoretical gamut of all of the them, but it's always in the particular of this arising, passing, desire, thirst, delusion, whichever way you want to say it, addiction, affliction, depending upon the strength, the determination, the blindness that we have about it. And yet it's the ability to be present as it, to embody it, which enables us to, if I use the word, let it go, allowing it to pass as it naturally does. Allow, in a sense, that's the extinguishing or the putting an end to them, because you only put an end to this moment arising desire, delusion, defilement, whatever you call. Now, different words imply different things. So if you use a word like defilement, then you get into what's being defiled, who's being defiled, how does it defile, which is why I like the using words like desires rather than defilements. Desires or desire, delusionary desires, I think that is more accurate. And in the same way, the disappearing or the putting an end is in this experiencing moment. There's nothing else to put an end to because not, as far as I know, behind me I don't carry a pack of desires. They rise right now. Delusions arise right now. And that's what we put an end to. And yet, and yet there's an importance to the vow. The vow is the momentum, the determination to continue doing this despite the fact that it keeps arising in different aspects of our life. We could have had a great meal and feel full and wonderful and we go out and walk down the street and we pass by this store and the smell and oh the aroma of that dessert oh that and there we are off to the races with our desires and I pick the easy one food is an easy one but as we know our culture develops and in encourages all sorts of desires using the basic natural ones food, sex um, maybe status maybe um, other things and just continues to uh, multiply and expand them into all sorts of areas being cared for If you have enough likes, then you really know you're important and people like you and you have lots of friends. So how many likes or 
can you get on this platform or that platform of the internet, even if it's from people you've never met, except virtually. And that in one sense, if you look closely, what do those mean? You might have serious questions about how significant. Yet, yet, people can go to all sorts of lengths to do that and be willing to sacrifice their own life in, or aspects of their life in all sorts of ways in order to get that. Yes, these delusions, desires, these thirsts, as the Buddha says in the first, Second Noble Truth, are there. And culture cultivates them in ways. So, the more we encounter people, and this is part of the Bodhisattva vow, it's not just for us, but for others, we can see all the conditions and reactions where these desires, delusions, afflictions, whatever word you like to use, whatever is appropriate, can arise. Though some people talk about cutting off, it's not really that you need to cut anything, you just cease holding it, and of itself it takes care of it. Cease being controlled by them, so to speak. Allow them to come and go. But that's not so easy. One, if we have habits of reactions, habits that have their own momentum and strengths, and we know very well from sitting how habits manifest for us with their own strength and momentum. It's not as if we're carrying them along, and yet it is because they manifest in our body, in our body-mind, in our emotion-thought, and they manifest in reaction to all sorts of circumstances, all sorts of circumstances, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, there pops up that, oh, which is why our, among other things, our uh, entertainment and uh, advertising industry works so hard to find the ways that they can elicit and encourage those sorts of delusionary desires, making us believe what we need and how much of it we need. And last year's model and form is not okay. I need the newest, latest, and you fill in, car, computer, phone, clothes, style, and go on with what we add. Us humans seem to venerate and elevate these thirsts in all sorts of ways, but it's very much a matter of being embodied. As I said, all sorts of beings have these, and all sorts of beings will fight sometimes to the death and go to extensive lengths in energy in these directions. We 
well, I don't know, I won't say we all know, but I certainly have seen lots of examples in terms of birds and the length that they go to attract a mate. This is natural. The length they go in terms of setting up a nest or a, for some birds, a a place where they can display, do dances. Um, The same with fish of different sorts. Um, The same with all sorts of beings. So this is a very natural aspect. It's not this natural aspect that we're... um, that's the problem. It's as humans the consequences when we hold on to this in ways that are no longer appropriate for the present moment. The consequences when we suffer and harm because of it is what this Bodhisattva vow is addressing. This Bodhisattva vow is bringing forth a way for us to go beyond the seemingly natural holding to thoughts and feelings, holding to self-centeredness in those forms, and therefore the seemingly natural and terribly um, difficult suffering and harming that result in all sorts of ways in all sorts of ways so this vow is another step in the vows that in one in one sense allow us to manifest who we are to manifest the buddha's awakening to, to manifest this that isn't bound up in self-centered dream because not because there's a problem with the dream except that the consequences of believing it the consequences of holding to the thirsts is suffering is harming and the consequences isn't just for us but for others. Therefore, when this Bodhisattva vow is not just in terms of ours, but also to see and be with others when these arise. And of course, these arise in terms of other people as well, in terms of their behavior, what they, quote, should or shouldn't do when we come encounter others our desires manifest sometimes in what we want them or don't want them to do, to say, to be to have that's where the further um, what should I say well it's simple it's this anxiety and hate as the one translation says keep on arising And they arise for people who are close and people who are far, people who we know nothing about except because 
we see them in the media, but we have comments about. Or people that we don't even see, but we see they're driving on the road and we have all sorts of comments about their driving. That, too, is delusionary desires putting an end to them, allowing them to be let go of. Because otherwise, the consequences are not our peace or peace of others. It's not the compassion that the Bodhisattva is manifesting and vowing to offer to all beings so that they can be saved, liberated, which is what the first vow started us off with. Okay, this is, I think, enough on the second one for now, and we can, I will open this up. Of course, as I said, these are all connected, but and I'm also trying to connect them on either side with the Four Noble Truths and with the Four Practice Principles, because in a sense it's one thing with different facets. So, let's see if you have any comments. And as I said, tomorrow we'll continue with the third, and tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday, I'll, we'll get to the fourth and to some of Dogen, connect, um, who has written a verse, that uh, not a verse, a fascicle that's connected to some of what the fourth Bodhisattva vow is. So I'll stop now and see what you might want to bring up. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, if you need to change positions, please do. It, um, you talk about advertising. Um, yes. How we're enticed by advertising. Which, which appeal to you know, basic fundamental realities of yeah. human nature. Yes. I, thought, I think it's interesting telling in a way that in advertising, whether it's advertising you know, TV ads or jingles that are written uh-huh. for TV ads or whatever, there's a word that's often used in the creators of these things. Uh-huh. It needs a hook. Yes. Well, that's a good ad, but it needs a hook. Um, and... It's the kind of thing that we will bite down on and get caught by. A uh-huh. fish hook is what they're talking about. Yeah. A fish hook. And it's, it's interesting that we're surrounded by so many hooks. Hooks that are cast at us and hooks that we create mm-hmm. ourselves. And how they look so appealing and so enticing. And yet, we get hooked. Yeah. In a way, hooks take advantage of what's naturally perfect and fine. For instance, I mean, if you think of fish hooks, since you use fish hooks, are about taking what's natural, the fish finding a prey and grabbing it. The most natural thing it's built into, if I use such expressions, into being a fish and in swimming in the water and food appearing, most, since many fish are going to gather the food of the insects, prey, or small of... Fly or whatever. 
and we just take uh, advantage of those natural things to hook the fish so that we can get it. And in the same sense, our desires are natural. Desires for food, desires for sex, desires for um, security, for love, for even prestige, or or caring, um, or nurturing, or other ways you can articulate those desires. The problem is when we allow a hook to get into those, the hook in the thirst for it, when it's either inappropriate or there are further consequences that we want to overlook or, or that we don't care about, when we want it at the expense of others without seeing what we're doing in order to get it, etc., etc. But don't you think sometimes we create our own hooks? Of course. In fact, most of the time we start by creating it in ourselves by allowing the arising of the hook of the desire to mean that I need to then go do this, that, and that in order to get that without being present to see, oh yeah, the desire is coming up, but I just ate a meal and I don't have to get another one. I have a phone that works. I don't have to get the latest. Um, or I might not even need a phone. Or, But, you know, if I get that trip or that position, then everyone else will know how good I am, and then I'll know how good I am, because without that, there's something lacking in me. Yeah, or, see, so it, it's, this is as, as much culturally and biologically encouraged, and yet when we uh, extend it in ways that are inappropriate, or... The inappropriateness has to do when we extend it in ways that has consequences of suffering and harming, then we have problems. So how do we see through the bait that is luring us to the hook? Well, the first has to do with it being present and experiencing it and beginning to train ourselves to be able to distinguish, so to speak, between desires that are appropriate and desires that are beyond appropriate, that have negative consequences, that really aren't necessary. Desires that are just come that come up but right now is not something that needs to be acted on. That's the point of see in a sense in our Zazen, it's very simple. We get to sit and notice that even as we're sitting still, desires arise. Or, if we put it that way, holding to self-centered thoughts arise. Even though there's nothing we're going to do for, let us say, the next half hour, but sit still, all of a sudden, we're off in yesterday or tomorrow. How come they said that to me? I should have been able to have that. You know, What am I going to do? To, what am I going to do after Sashin? Let's see, what... What shows are there on TV or on Netflix or, you know, where? where Where's the next session? (laughs) We're off in the future. (laughs) We're off in even five minutes in the future or five hours or five days. I mean, that's just some simple examples. But it's the matter of being able to be present and not be run by it rather than simply 
rather choose it when we want to. Fine. You want to have some chocolate ice cream? Great. But if you're sitting through Sashin thinking about the chocolate ice cream you're going to have the day after Sashin, you miss all your life between now and then. And the point is to, to be able to live in the truth of your life of this moment. That's the point of practice. Because otherwise, they're suffering. Because otherwise, you bump into all sorts of things when you're th- because you're thinking about next week and you're not here where you are in front of yourself, so to speak. You don't see what's right here in front of you and you bump right into it. So you're saying... The, the rising of desires itself is a natural process. It seems to me. Yeah, it seems to me too. The, the Buddha does. The Buddha talks about thirsts. He talks about um, having what you don't want, not having what you do want. I mean, that's just two ways he breaks it up. Being with those you don't want to be with, not being with those you want to be with. And that's why this is endless because it's a natural process. It yes. It's it, 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 as long as you're alive, some of these will will arise. Different ones arise at different stages in life, and that's another thing. Sometimes we have ones that arise at a stage in life when it's no longer or nev- isn't yet appropriate for us. So you could have a ten-year-old kid that wants to drive, and Unfortunately, some 10-year-old kids actually get into cars and get into accidents, even though they're not yet ready to drive. And you could have an 80-year-old who no longer can see and hear well enough and whose reaction time is too slow, but still wants to drive, or a 90-year-old. And I live in an area where there's there have been quite a number of people like that who no longer should be driving but still are, and you have them have accidents, kill people, that hurt themselves, but usually it's other people that get hurt. And I've had an, uh, seen a number of incidents in the past year, in the past two years, where that's occurred. Because we still live in the self-centered thought and hold on to the self-centered desires that are all entangled in driving, being independent, not giving up on certain things, which are all part of and extensions of being human. And yet, it's no longer seeing those delusionary desires for what they are. So in a sense, we have to take care of it for ourselves and then take care of it in every circumstances, circumstance where it's appropriate, according to our abilities, capacities, and appropriateness, and skillfulness. Thank you. Yeah. Yes? Um, well, having painted fish for a long time, uh-huh. I've seen the... Um, Could you be a little louder? And say, sure. Yeah. Take yeah. my hand yeah. off, too. <laughs> The, the, uh, the hooks. Yes, the hooks. The hooks. The hooks. And yeah. many of them are very beautiful. Yes. Really beautiful. And they're called lures. Yes. So, which is a wonderful name because they are lures. Anyway, yes. They, 
They lure us. And you know what? Our culture has lots of lures. I mean, we've been saying advertising, but we have all sorts of lures in ter- socially, politically, um, you know, celebrity uh, culture is all about lures and, and media is about lures. Um, he's, Mushu was talking about um, hooks in, in um, advertising, but newspaper journalism is all about hooks, just in terms of the headlines. It's all about that. What, what headline will hook you? Not which one will tell you the truth of what the article is about, but which one will hook you? A new thing on the internet is called clickbait. Yeah, clickbait. So, anyway, this is... But this is not something new. This is something that, in a sense... Remember, the Buddhists speaking 2,500 years ago, or a little more than that, or anyway. It, completely different cultures. But this thirsting and the encouragement of thirsting... <coughs> is built into a lot of many aspects of human society, not just our particular, but most of the human societies that we know of. I don't know very, we don't know very much about other hominid societies, um, uh, so we can't say about those, but we can certainly say there's things like this in chimp society, in other ape societies, and as I said, all sorts of animals. This is part of being embodied. And our practice is not that the, the arising of this, but that what's skillful and appropriate on what creates harm and suffering. That's the distinguishing areas for us to see. And then to see what's for us to do. How do we end it in being present? But we'll get to that. That's the third and the fourth. So I don't... Otherwise I have nothing to say the next few days and you'll just, we'll just have to sit here in silence. I don't think that would ever happen. Okay. Is the third and fourth a lure? Is the third and fourth a lure? Oh. I did that the first day. I said there were four, and I said I'm going to do one a day. <laughs> and, and I listed them. Yes. Well, I just want to say about one of the translations talks about eradicating them, and I think that that's a little misleading because that leads one. Yes. So that's not what we're talking about. If I get the. You know, I will not. Uh, I will. I pick. I. I brought up the different eradications to show the different, not different eradications, different translations to show the different ways. So, for instance, that one says, I vow to eradicate endless vexations. You know... I mean, that makes it sound like you can get rid of them, cut them out. Well, different ones are going to say different things, and I I choose the one that I think is... um, best and closest, but nevertheless I want to bring up the other ones just so that we hear the different ways people f- focus on it. And I, I eradicate is very, is, is very strong and I, I don't like it, that, the use of that word. Now we also have to remember that these are, um, some of these are people translating 
um, out of their native language into English, where for them English is a second or third language. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, some of them. Th- that's why I I bring up different translations, also because it it focuses on different aspects and nuances, and it allows us to grapple with what is it we say and what is it we want to say and what clarifies it for us. Yes, good. Yes. I'm thinking of Joko and how she often would talk about how you first notice this arising, something happening in your body, some tension. Uh I carry a lot of tension in my mouth and uh, you begin to feel the hook before you even know the hook is there. Uh-huh. And um, it can be really subtle. Yeah. But it's an indicator. I, I think that um, you don't get to that more subtle part until you've, you've, to a certain extent, exhausted or let go of some of the more um, obvious thought and emotion part. Then you start... Um, sensing more the the arising, as you said, in in the body, yeah. because the, the others have quieted down a bit, to put it that way. In other words, they're not um, so much front and center for you, so that you can be present bodily. But it, it works different for different people yeah. at different times. Um, it's all one in, in, in one sense. In other words, the thoughts and the emotions and the feelings and all the ways that we, and the embodied um, sensations are all one. And yet we look at different aspects or we notice different aspects or feel different aspects at different times. And of course, that they build on each other. So it seems like it's continuing um, and sometimes we don't know where the so-called beginning or so-called end, but it doesn't make a difference because it's always in what we notice now. That aspect of it, whether it's the point of the hook, whether it's the line all the way back up, or it's somewhere in between, or it's the uh, bait on the hook, um, whichever aspect, when we can notice that and sense it, is our opportunity to practice, to experience, to embody it, which is also our opportunity to let it go, to uh, not be hooked by it, or not continue to swallow the bait, to use that kind of phrase. Okay, good. Thank you.